This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. Welcome, everybody, to South Beach Sessions. I'm Mike Ryan, executive producer of this podcast with help across the board from all the fine people over here at Metal Arc Media. Over the last few weeks and months, we've been really using South Beach Sessions to introduce you to some of the people joining the pirate ship and Metal Arc Media, but uh, returning to our roots this week with a nice biographical interview with a friend of the show, a good friend of the show. Carrot Top, one of the long-standing entertainers out in Las Vegas, a fascinating career in comedy. He's a prop comic. What does that mean? How is that looked upon by his fellow comedians in the stand-up comedy game? We get into all of that. It's a, a fun, engaging interview with Carrot Top. We hope you enjoy it. Scott, did you know what you wanted to do before FAU, Florida Atlantic, before college? No. When you were, you weren't someone who was a person. Are, are we already starting? Yes, we've started. We're okay, in okay, it. Okay. Um, no, I did not. I did not know. I mean, I, I wanted. I, I remember being like six, seven, eight years old, and I wanted to to be a performer or a comedian, but I didn't have any. You know, I just thought like when you're a kid, you're like, hey, I think I'll be an astronaut. You know, because that's what you want to do, and then you realize, oh, you got to be smart. Oh. I can't do that. So um, that's kind of like what the, I just fell into this. I went to college and I was telling jokes like, you know, just jokes, old jokes. And my roommates and all. The, and since I was a little kid, I was always, the you know, leader of the, you know, holding court, per se. And um, so I went to college. It was an open mic night. And my friend uh, roommate said, hey, you should go to that. And I said, yeah, we should go to that. And he said, no, you should be in it. And I was like, do what? Tell jokes. So I went up there and just told, you know, stock jokes. Like I was doing my whole life, and it, it was great. It killed. It had a great feel to it. Um, and then the next semester came around. There was another one, open mic thing, and they, they came to me this time and said, "Hey, you want to do it again?" Because it was great. And I said, "Yeah." And then I thought maybe I'll try to make it more me, like come up with um, a joke to, that I wrote. So I came up with all this stuff about the school, about parking, and t books, and teachers that we had, and the basketball team, and all this stuff. And it killed. It was great. Then I started slowly, just kind of doing this and i went to a, the real deal like a real comedy club and went and i had to audition for this woman in west palm beach at like three in the afternoon no one in the club smelled like vomit and beer and she said come on in and you know show me what you got and i was like like now and she's like yeah i'm like but there's no audience and so i just stood in front of her and i did all my jokes and she said there's something about you you're very charming you're very there's something about but i your 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 material is very based on like college and stuff and i said well that's why you know, that's why i'm doing it so when you come to the club, it's going to have to be a little bit more, you know, broad, you know, it's going to have to appeal to a lot more people than just 18, 19 year olds. I'm fucked because that's not going to work. So I literally went home and that's when I started coming up with props. And I, I had one, it was a neighborhood crime watch sign. That was my first joke. I said, I'd hold it up to say, sorry, I'm late. It was in the neighborhood and it would kill because it was like a new thing, right? Neighborhood crime watch, we're going to watch your house. And I said, you're not even watching your sign. It took me two days to unbolt this. <laughs> so that was my first joke it was really good it was clever it was visual the woman said i like that if you if you did more of that so i came up with all these signs these jokes was about 10 different road signs that everybody has seen you know you know no train horn between certain hours that's the time you need the horn you can't see the train coming so there's always clever things 
And that's really how the props kind of slowly got into uh, to being my shtick. I guess you don't. Well, let's go back a little bit. When you say wanted to be an astronaut like all kids, well, you wanted to be an astronaut because your dad was an actual rocket scientist, right? Yeah, and I just thought, my dad's there. I can just go. I can just go be an astronaut. So uh, that's the truth, too, seriously. And then, uh, yeah, but that's my dad worked at NASA and trained all the astronauts. And uh, as a kid, I didn't really appreciate it as much as I do now. Like, I, I look back, and my dad was a rock star. You know, he really was cool. And as a kid, I just thought, I don't want to go to another launch. I don't want to want, you know, and now it's, of course, you know, it's, it's amazing. These, these, you know, they're, they're actually bringing it back now with SpaceX. So it's good that this whole area is coming back again. Did they support what you were doing, your parents? Because I can see no. that it's such a it's such an odd, difficult path to take, especially if you're coming from a household where, you know, a rocket scientist, where education no, is probably did. being. Uh, it, well, yeah. The weird thing is, Dan, they didn't in the beginning at all. I mean, they, they were like any parent, probably more concerned that I'm going to go into show business. And my dad, my, it's not a joke. I, my dad says, how are you paying for your, you know, your car payment? And I said, well, I'm doing, you know, like two odd jobs. And I'm also doing comedy. And I, and I you know, pay just the extra little bit. My dad's like, comedy? What are you doing for comedy? I said, no, I'm doing comedy. And he's like, you're not funny. And I said, I know. But I'm doing it. And so he didn't realize at all. I was a very quiet kid. He didn't realize. So he came to one of my shows. It was like, what the, where did you come from? Where did this happen? So my dad at the end became a huge fan of mine. Really, really supportive. He just didn't understand it. He was, you know, he's an old guy working at NASA. It's like, wait, you're a comedian? How do you? Then, of course, he'd come to the show and say, that was great, son. I mean, that was, you know. Did he know that side of his son, though, the performer? No, the I don't think so. No, he didn't. I, I mean, I was, like I said, a really quiet, shy kid. I. I never cut up around the. I mean, I'd say things funny around the house. Like my mom would, my mom would, to this day, there was so many things that she, they used to do. And I, I put some of them in the show when I was, when I was starting, you know, like she'd give me a glass of milk and, and I'd say, mom, I think this is, I'm like eight now. I, I said, mom, I think this milk's spoiled. And she would give me it. And she'd put chocolate syrup in it. And she goes here. Oh, and now it's bad <laughs> chocolate milk. Like it, it, it didn't fix the problem. More of the show now is based on that kind of stuff. Family stuff. But when did you break out, uh, not comedically, just in your personality or your ability to perform? When did out, I come out? Outside oh. of the shyness. When did you come out of the shyness? I kind of came out of my shyness when I started performing at the college. And then when I got to the, the comedy clubs and all that, it was, it was, I was way too past being nervous. I mean, I'm still, you still get nervous. I mean, people always ask me, do I get nervous before a show? And it's not nervous like I'm going to eat it. It's, it's nervous of like just the energy and, and adrenaline you get before you perform. It's a kind of thing. But Scott, your run has been crazy, right? Comedy doesn't endure this way. 16 years at the Luxor. You've been performing in Vegas longer than anybody. Comics that you came up with have come and gone. The most successful time to be you in terms of late night circuit and, yeah. and just uh, capitalizing on everything was when. And was that the yeah. most fun and happy time or was the fun time and a happy time a different time? I definitely had a ride in the 90s. I had the AT&T commercials that, that were on every six seconds all this stuff added up to one i didn't have one particular outlet like like a sitcom i just had all these different things like the at&t commercial although the commercials for at&t were on for about three years and they were very successful yet people didn't know i was a comedian they say oh what? i'd be at the mall in their town and they say oh what are you doing here and i said i'm doing a show and they said oh like a phone show and i'm like what a phone <laughs> show a comedy show they go oh well, you're a comedian i thought you just hawked phones so it was kind of an interesting time that, you know, they didn't know a lot of people knew I was a comedian. They followed me, but a lot of people that just saw me on TV were like, who's this annoying redheaded chick with the black mustache? 
<laughs> and so as you're coming up as a comic, you immediately, you're saying, you went to props really fast. You realize yeah. there's another angle here, and you're going there based on advice and noticing, well, this is a different lane. I don't hear... I don't have to be funnier than everyone else who's funny. I just have to be funnier than the people who are funny with props, correct? We could talk for days on this one, but the prop comedy thing and 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 like magic and props and uh, vaudeville, you know, I was like kind of a vaudeville kind of fan, so I liked all that. I like that. I, I to this day I still I do I don't dance and sing, but I, I I do a lot of there's a lot more than just standing there with a microphone. But you have to be as good as those guys, and that's what was always so weird. I never I never competed with them directly and I never really cared if they were funnier than me. I said to make sure I was funny, but they were always threatened by me because I was doing props and they, that I, they say, Oh, it's easier to get laughed with props. And I used to say to my friends, okay, then build one, make one, come up with your own prop joke and do it and tell me how easy it is. And they never could, they were like, shit, this is hard. I'm like, yeah, well, it's just different. It's not hard. It's just what I do. And so you do what you do, you know? What I meant is sort of, did you see an, ambash, an ambitious path to success where you're like, oh, where no. where are the places that I can be a little bit different than everyone else with my look, well, with my style? Yes, I, was, I got a degree in marketing. And so I did I did think this thing out. I mean, it was like I was in my dorm and I and I, I did this one with Oprah. I actually wrote a, I drew a logo before I had an act and, and I had my logo and people are like, what's that? It's just my logo. And they're like, what's it for? I like when I become a comedian but you don't have an act. And I said, I know, but the hard part's over. I got the loaded. So I thought being a marketing guy, when you go to a class and they're doing like show and tell and they're holding up tide boxes and saying, what's different about that? Your, your attention span is so much more in tune because you're looking at things and listening to things. So I kind of thought that was stand-up comedy. I thought, hey, you go into a club and these people are drunk, they're not listening, they're dead, but they're, they're going to have to watch me because I've got shit for them to see. So... I, I did think about it. And then the marketing aspect of it as well with Carrot Top, I put it behind me in my trunk lid. So the whole night when I'm up there, Carrot Top was being seen all night long. So when they left the club, they would say, who would you see? Oh, we saw Carrot Top because they saw the name and they saw the props. They saw the hair. So it was definitely something thought out. I mean, I did think about it as a brand, but I didn't think it'd be, it would make me go quicker to the top. I mean, definitely, definitely not that. I, I, I am so amazed that I've been doing this. Um, I just put a thing in the show the other day. I, I'm, I've been doing this 36 years. Started in 1985, and so it's um, that's crazy. It's scary, right? That's crazy. That's just I know. I'm like the, I'm like I remember being the young comic that would walk up to like George Carlin and say, "Hey, give me some advice." And now I'm the old fart that kids are calling me saying, "Hey, give me some advice." What did success look like to you back then? When you dreamt of it or imagined it, you're at FAU, you're doing stand up night or whenever it is you choose. I'm going to choose this. Full bore as a career path, you imagine success looking like what? I don't know what, what it would have looked like or what it felt like, but I do remember the first time that I was on, I know the first time I got recognized. I was doing like, you know, TV stuff and I went down the beach over Coco and I, I literally got on the beach and I started walking and someone said, Hey, are you that carrot top guy? And I was like, yeah, they, oh, we saw you on, it was on a like Fox TV, whatever. We saw you on TV last week. Oh my God, it was great. And they knew my act, but I was like, that's weird. And it happened like it started happening a lot. So that that part of it was kind of and the very first time you get recognized, it's like, oh, that's cool. And then now it's it's always cool. It's always nice when people say, hey, you know, we get a picture. Um, and then you never lose that that excitement of people wanting to say hi to you. I don't. People, in fact, people first thing people say to me is, oh, that must suck. Like I was out yesterday having lunch, and someone walked up. People were walking over me, and the guy must that must suck being you. And I'm like, no, I I love it. 
if I didn't want that, I'd stay home. I mean, you know. And you wouldn't look so, the way you do, and it's flattering every time. It's flattering. It always, it absolutely. I mean, that's the whole reason you get into this is is for people to say, "Hey, I love your work," or "Or oh, I hate your work." <laughs> we get that too. Was there a second place to the name and logo on Carrot Top? Like, what's the story that could have been told on the failed name that you almost chose, <laughs> but you went with Carrot Top? I should have had an answer for this one. That would have been great. <laughs> something like Spinker Smackin' or something. Yeah, no. Uh, I went with Carrot Top full-blown, and um, I used to say that, too, as a blessing and a curse, because I, when I started using it, and I went to a club in Orlando, they were like, uh, what, Carrot Top? Was it? You know, uh, yeah, and then... Then I became Carrot Top, and then I'm like, dang, now I'm Carrot Top. Like, I could have I could have picked a cooler name probably, you know? Are there any ways? Oh, Queen, Queen Latifah was taken, so I couldn't pick <laughs> Are there any ways that being Carrot Top is a prison, that you're typecast, that you have to be this one character, even though you love it, that this is the character you've been over 36 years, and it's what people expect? Yeah. I think I think you just answered that question. Yes, absolutely. I'm probably the most typecast person in the entire world, literally. And I've said it to, to some big time directors too. I had a meeting with Joel Schumacher and I said to him, he loved me. He was like, dude, there's something that's more deep to you. Uh, you know what I mean? Like you're, you're like deep. It's not silly. It's deep. And I said, yes, thank you, Joel. He said, I'll put you in something crazy where you're at your shirt off and you're like shooting people and it's like crazy. And um, so every comic, I think wants that. I mean, every comic is known for being silly and goofy, but deep down we're really mean souls. You've wanted to be portrayed differently. What what was the role? You were you up for a Joker role or something? Were you auditioning? Yeah, for I was part of. Yeah, I was part of one of the bad guys in Batman. Actually, I wasn't even up for it. I got it, and then I never got shot to do it. So, but uh, there's been other parts. There's been other roles. Uh, a friend of Nicholas Cage is a buddy of mine. He he's got a movie that he and he's one of those people who's like, dude, you got to do this part, man. Okay, bro. So um, he wants me to be his like brother in this movie, and he wants me to be crazy and Scott, you, you have to tell me some Nicholas Cage stories just because a, we're, <laughs> we're obsessed by him around here. Mike Ryan, everyone's it, obsessed with Nicholas Cage. He's an icon. I know, but also we love to tell the story of the time that you broke up a morning fight between or not. You were in the middle of the Nicholas Cage. I was it Vince. Neal? I definitely didn't break it up. I wasn't, thank God I didn't break it up. I just, I, they went that way and I went that way. You were there though. It was a morning. I was, I was there. Yeah. We had lunch. Yeah, that's fine. We don't have to get into the gossip of that. You've never wanted to talk about that, but that's fine. I don't need that's the I'm under law not to. OK, I didn't realize there are there are legal ramifications to have been in the middle of the Vince Neil Nicholas Cage. Not really. Well, no, not really me. I, w I really wasn't. I was there at once, but I wasn't there for the thing. So I didn't I didn't see it until I got home on the news. And then I went, oh, crap, that's what happened when I left. Can you at least talk about the the electric blue suit that Nicolas Cage was wearing uh, before or while uh, in always, the middle? <laughs> he always wears that. He's like he's like you know people and me. We always how come you always have striped shirts? He always has blue, purple, yellow, green jackets. Yeah. Well, go ahead and give me an. Do you have a Nicolas Cage story? Or now are we getting to privacy? It's okay if I if you're not comfortable. I know you have all of these celebrity stories because you've got this great Vegas life, and people come up to wherever it is you are and spend time with you. I'm not interested in the gossip, but well, I am interested in the gossip of that. But if you don't want to talk about any of that, it's fine. You just need to tell me so I don't keep bothering you with Nicolas Cage well, Nick, questions. Nick is guy, he's a private guy. He wouldn't want me to talk about. It. But I can talk about Roger Taylor from Queen, the drummer. Okay. I mean, that, that kind of story is like epic because they come to the show, you know, they say Roger Taylor's coming and I'm thinking, who the hell's Roger? I don't, I know what Roger Taylor I know is the drummer from Queen and I know he's not coming to my show. And all of a sudden security walks back 
like royalty. They come back in their jackets and they smell like London and they're like, they're like, hello, Scott. And I'm like, holy crap. I mean, this and they come to the show and they, they couldn't have been nicer people. To this day, we're best friends. He'll call me and say, Scott, what's the joke we got now in the masks, you know? So we became really best friends in a sense. And they, I went to, uh, to, over to London and, you know, people say, you can stay at my house. I'm not going to stay at his house. You know, they, but I would say, thank you for that. So he said, no, you, I insist you come to stay at the house, right? So I'm with my, my girlfriend at the time. And I said, um, it's not going to be a house. It's going to be a castle, probably. She's like, oh, yeah, to be a castle. You're a moron. I said, it's queen. Like, they should understand. It's like the Rolling Stones, queen. I mean, there's not that many royalties, right? So see over there. So sure enough, I take a bet. I said, bet it's a castle. She's so okay, make stupid, stupid bet. So we're driving there. And uh, I mean, a driver's driving me. I'm not driving, please. But um, they drive me there <laughs> and we pull up and sure enough, it's a castle. I mean, like a full blown, like, like Downton Abbey. And I'm like, oh my God. And she, of course she looks at me like, who is this? I'm like, it's Queen. She still doesn't get it. So we go in, we have beautiful lunch. And this, they, they spend all day, it's my, it was my birthday. So they spent all day with me. We cooked or had a chef cook for us. Anyway, he says, I, we had to go back to London. They were going to meet us at dinner at my hotel. So I said, I'm going to go back. He said, before you go, you want to see my studio? And I said, and my, my girlfriend's like, can we go now? And I said, I, you can't say no to this, right? So we go, <laughs> this is all true. We go up to the studio, which is as big as the whole top of the castle is his studio. And it's got every drum set from every tour. I mean, like live aid. And it gives you chills just standing in front of it, right? All the Freddy stuff, everything, right? And I'm like, wow, all the gold records. And my girlfriend says, well, you really like drums, huh? Like, <laughs> do, do you know he's the drum? Like, why, why would you even say that? And thank God he's deaf. So he's like, what's that, darling? I said, she loves her drums. Like, oh, yeah. You are. The drummer from, you know. You fit, though, in that. Did, what do you do, pottery? Yeah. <laughs> you fit in that world, though. Rock stars like you. You like rock stars. They must appreciate uh, that you've chosen your own path, that you're unique looking, that you're always some version of yourself publicly. Because yeah. when we went to go see Guns N' Roses and Green Day, I saw the way Green Day was behaving around you. These, these people think <laughs> of you as a little bit rock and roll, correct? Yes. I, I think I've always been a little bit rock and roll. I mean, that's, you know. The show itself is very rock and roll. The strobe lights, all the way from day one. I, I mean, I remember the clubs that wouldn't book me because I was different, and they hated. I mean, the club, the people loved it, but the club comics and the owner would be like, you know, I'd set up and I'd have my smoke, my smoke machines and my fog machines and my strobe lights. I even had snow machines, right, and leaf blowers. And the guy was like, "What the f?" I'm like, "You haven't seen the show yet." So when he sees the show, he's like, "Oh my god, it all makes sense now." Like. You know, there was, there was a hurricane joke. I had my foot pedal and I hit the air. My hair would fly and I'm like, we're live outside the, you know, in the, you know, hurricane bit, whatever. And then we'd have rock and roll. Then ends on Michael Jackson, the blower and the strobe lights. I used to do a joke in slow motion with the strobe lights and it killed. So then it made sense once they saw it. My team is one win away. And I'll tell you exactly what I'm going to do to celebrate once they get past this series. I'm going to go to my fridge and I'm going to get myself an ice cold can of Miller Lite. A lot's changed over the years, but one thing that hasn't, the great taste of Miller Lite. Another thing that hasn't changed is that it's less filling. So what is the best thing about the original light beer? Miller Lite sparked this debate in 1975 and it still hasn't been settled. You see, Miller Lite keeps it simple. Undebatable quality, great taste, and only 96 calories. It's the beer that strips away everything that you don't need and holds on to what matters most. A light beer that tastes like beer, less filling, and only 96 calories. The original light beer since 1975.
You don't have to choose what's best. Miller Lite has great taste and is less filling. Tastes like Miller Time. To get Miller Lite delivered right at your door, visit MillerLite.com beach, B-E-A-C-H. Or you can get it pretty much anywhere that sells beer. Celebrate responsibly. Miller Brewing Company, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. 96 calories per 12 ounces. Fewer calories and carbs than premium regular beer. I know we've talked about portions of this before, but I remember in the Comedy Central roast, they were roasting Flavor Flav, and then people, yeah. they loved picking on you. Yes, I remember saying, I remember being there. Is it that they view prop comics as trying too hard? I mean, you, you spoke earlier to the idea of like, well, you're, that's cheating. You're doing it that way. And then you point out to them, well, no, try it my way and see if it's not hard. What is happening there where, where the, well, comedi- the, the comedians the roast, are- They weren't particularly picking on my act. As, as much as they were just picking on me. So that's fine. They didn't really didn't poke fun at the fact that I did props. They just said, you know, like one comic, Geraldo, whoever it was, said, hey, we stop at the plastic surgery. And I thought that was hilarious because I'm saying, you know, I'm sorry I look good. I'm sorry I take care of myself. I'm sorry I look good. But plastic surgery, what is wrong with people? What if people lost their minds? I mean, Kenny Rogers, yes. I think had, I think might have had some work done. But my crew and I always think it's funny. Like, if I had plastic surgery, wouldn't it, would I look, not look better or worse? That part was kind of funny because that started, if you Google carrot top, it would come up with plastic surgery because that one guy said it. Whenever people say things, it's there for life. Why don't they have carrot top, big cock? <laughs> See, if someone said I had a big cock, Google carrot top and big cock with them. The part that I don't get is moralizing from on high. It doesn't matter how you get the people to laugh. Like, what is that? What is it? What's that snobbery about comedy that would allow anyone? I know it's just, it's funny, but it's just there. Isn't that funny? And I think it's not just comedy. I mean, I think if you went into music, you could probably find some bands that are like, they suck. That's not real. That's bullshit. You know what I mean? So I think it's just in general, the arts. I mean, I have friends that are artists that paint that say that's crap. I don't even think it's just, I think it's everything. I'm radio shows. Honestly, you probably say that's a waste of airtime. That show that, you know, the one it's a waste of, it's a waste of time. So I I think it's that in any art form and success, you get successful at it. You're going to be way more hated. That's the downside to success is, is the hate that comes along with it because you're successful, you know? Oh, but what a great career to have had. I mean, again, right. 36 years through comedy. Nobody gets that, Scott. Nobody. Yeah, yeah, no, it's pretty it's been pretty amazing. I got to be honest, and it, it's something that I that I also realize. Like I don't just a day doesn't go by that I don't realize, wow, how lucky I've had it. And I do tell young comics though, like cuz now I'm the one giving advice cuz I they say how how come you've had such a long career? And you don't, there's no answer to that except but definitely been blessed with something with some luck. For sure. I was in the right place at the right time. When I got into comedy, it was right about that time when it was coming off the boom, like Seinfeld. It was that was the hype and then it started going down. But I was still in that that area where lots of comedy shows, you know, they had like 15 different comedy shows that you could get your act on, like Evening at the Improv, Comic Strip Live, all these different ones. Um, then if you were lucky enough to get on the Tonight Show and like I got to be like Regis. Now Regis Regis and Kathy Lee was such a different element because it's such a different audience. I mean, I would go do my act at the college, and then the next morning I'd go to do it on Regis, and they're like, you can't do a bong joke on Regis and Kathy. So I used to write specifically for that show. I'd call it Regis joke. It's a Regis joke. And a lot of times it wouldn't even make it in the show. It was just strictly made for that TV show for that age group because they're like 70, 80-year-old women. Um, so it was always an awesome challenge. But that was like going broad, right? It was like, the comedy clubs are one thing. Now you're on Regis and Kathleen. So the kids that would watch me at their college, now their parents are watching me, you know, and their, and their grandparents are watching me. So 
it kind of started getting all age groups. That's when it kind of got cool. Um, I know for sure I got lucky just doing what I do and, and loving what I do. I love doing the props. I think mean, that's what makes it fun. And working at it. I mean, I, I, I if you get on my Instagram right now, the last four or five clips that I've showed are, are brand new bits that are based on like the queen and Lady Gaga's dog's missing and uh, Biden's speech. I mean, I just did it. I mean, so that you got to keep writing. That's the key too. When people come to your show and they go, wow, he had a Biden speech joke. What advice would you go back and give yourself in your 20s that you now have because you've been at this so long? Like, what do you wish? Well, you know what? I always think the, the good answer to that one, too, I think. There's not a lot that I would have changed as far as how I, I, I went about it. I think the only thing that I would have done differently, however, maybe it wouldn't have done any difference. If I, uh, when I was living in L.A., I should have maybe spent a lot more time living there um, and maybe doing acting classes and maybe would have got a more... Which is when you're there, that's when you they see you and you're like, hey, you want to be in this, want to be in that? And I was always on the road. I was always doing, you know, 240 shows a year while everybody else is in L.A. doing clubs and auditioning and stuff. I was like, no, I'm going to I'm going to make money. I wouldn't done it completely different. I might have done a little more time in L.A. to get myself exposure to those markets. But um, then I wouldn't have had what I had now with the road. So and I, I live in Florida. People are like, why would you live in Florida and not live in L.A.? And I was just like, I'm a Florida guy. I, and I, I work so hard on the road. When I come home, I want to get on my boat and float on the lake. And that maybe be part of what made my success because I did kind of enjoy a little bit of relaxing too and not being stuck in L.A. in that rut the whole time trying to find a gig. Can you explain how hard and sad and lonely the road is even as you're chasing those laughs across the country? Yeah, just listen to a country song. Hell, they say it best. I'm lucky, very, again, lucky because I have this crew, right? So I built this show where I have to have people around me in a sense. So when I first started doing comedy, just me and my little suitcase props, it was very lonely. I mean, I was all by myself in the car driving to the next gig every day, but it wasn't, it was still fun. I, I mean, I think back and I was, I remember listening to the Black Crows and I, that's when I got involved in, in radio, by the way. That's the first time I really got into talk radio is because I was driving and you can't only listen to music for so many hours, right? And you want to hear people talk. And I used to love radio. So I started listening to radio all the time. Um, Neil Rogers. I remember Neil Rogers down in, he's, is he dead? Yes, he passed away. But yes, he was groundbreaking in that regard. So yes, you were at FAU and you were listening to Neil Rogers. Oh my, I, I used to go, I was, I, I literally was addic addicted to that, that guy and that show. And I would go, and he finally started having remotes where he would go, go and meet you. And I remember going and I went, oh, my God, <laughs> the face doesn't match the, the radio. Whatever. It was unbelievable. I'm like, that's Neil Rogers? Like, what? But um, he was, he was, I'm telling you, that guy was brilliant. And you say groundbreaking. I mean, he really, right? When he went, into, when he went over to FM Zeta, whatever it was, right? It was like, shoot. And he was so funny. And he was so raw. And he would say, well, you know, I remember for all the gay stuff you'd say. I'm thinking, is he really? Is that just part of the act? Because he was so like, who says this? Brilliant, brilliant. And that's a, unfortunate he had passed. In fact, I, I tried looking him up one time to see just if he was still alive or whatever. But yeah, it was a, yeah. Anyway, that was a, that was a great, it was a great time. I used to love listening to that. I remember reading a story. I think it was by Chris Jones. Chris Jones, exceptional. I believe it was GQ. It was a feature story about you. And then it ends oh, up yeah. and we're in the penthouse in Vegas and there's Shania Twain. And this is just Carrot Top's life at 5 a.m. Hanging out with Shania Twain in a Las Vegas suite. Uh, how would you describe your life in Vegas? 16 years, the longest tenured act in Vegas, 
Siegfried and Roy were there longer, but there haven't been in the history of Vegas longer acts than yours at the Luxor. 16 years. Yeah. Yeah, it's been amazing. I tell you, I mean, there, there are nights like that with Shania Twain. And, it, you know, it's just, it's bizarre. You know, <laughs> she's a good friend of mine. But it's, it's, it's bizarre how that happens. You meet, you know, you meet these people. You do have done it long enough, but you meet so many people that and you don't realize that they are fans of yours. Like, you know, Toby Keith's like, hey, man, want to be in my video? And you're like, well, that's cool. I didn't know you were a fan of mine. You know, uh, a lot of NASCAR drivers come to the show and country stars and Queen came. Yeah, you get a lot of different people, eclectic people, flavor, flavor, you know. Um, when he comes to the show, it's like he's the president of the United States. They literally lose their minds. I don't feel like you explained at all what your life in Vegas is like. You just glossed. Well, through oh, it. I, I did not. It's 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 um. Well, I mean, from day well, my typical day for me, I guess, would be I get up and I go, uh, I go for a run. I run every day about five miles, and then I go have lunch, and um, that's when I kind of get my head up. I have a glass of wine. I kind of get my head, even though I've done the show a zillion years. You still kind of write new jokes, come up with some ideas, watch things that you might see you want to put in that day. Um, or things that I thought of the night prior. And then I call my guy and say, hey, make a slide, make a Biden thing, come across the thing. That, you know. And then I go, we used to go to the gym for like about, it used to be an hour. Now it's like 30 minutes, just a little quick workout. And then we go in and, because since we've been off for a year, we'd be going in and rehearsing a lot and doing you know, sound checks, which I probably should have been doing all these years. Um, and then we then it's showtime. And then, I, and then I get done and I take my dog with me. And then after we go home and watch TV and it turns all over again. And then there's nights like with Shania Twain or Vince Neil and, and, you know, that kind of stuff. There's always those days mixed in. How did it but, all uh, come to be, though? How did, how did the deal in Vegas come to be? How did the Luxor come to be? What Was it a lot of uh, difficulty in choosing, okay, this is the life I'm going to choose? How long did you think yeah. you were choosing it for? Yeah, I, did, I turned it down originally because I was doing the road shows and I would come in and do Vegas. I was at the MGM Grand at the time. I would do like a couple weeks at a time and then go back on the road and then come back three months later and do a couple weeks. Kind of a in and out residency, um, which is what now they call them all residencies. You could wear, you, you could have one week book there and they go, oh, he has a residency. So bullshit. So residency is what I do, 250 days a year. So I was doing that, and then David Copperfield was working. It was unreal. The room that I was working in, and I would split with David Copperfield, George Carlin, Tom Jones. I mean, it was unreal. The, the, the company, Lily Tomlin would come. It was just crazy, right? And uh, there's some fun. Have Go to dinner with Tom Jones. That's that's fun, by the way. Oh, yeah, tell I'm me more. Say, See, give me the Tom he'll, Jones. He'll, he'll, he'll talk in third person. He'll say, Tommy's going to have a beer now. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, I think Tommy's going to go for Tommy's going to go for a smoke, and Tommy's going to come back. <laughs> and I go, well, who, well, who's where, Who are you then? He's like, what? It's the worst Tommy. I would fuck with him all the time, but but anyway, so I I was doing that that thing for a while, for about ten years, and then one day David Copfield wanted to have the room full time for a full residency, so they came to me and I basically I went to the newspaper and I made a joke. I said, "They why did you leave the MGM Grand?" I said, "Because David Copfield made me disappear." And, of course, he called me the next day and said, well, I didn't make you disappear. I think it's a joke. It's a joke. It's a joke. He didn't really physically make me, but you, in a sense, made me disappear. So he says, no, I didn't do it. I said, it doesn't matter. I got me, a, so the Luxor had called, or my management actually looked around to find a room. And luckily, it was an MGM Grand property right across the street. And it was a showroom that was available. And we looked at it, and it was like, cool. It's like, this, you've been to it. So it's like this really cool atrium, like, you know, stadium seating. 
as opposed to booths and stuff, which I hated because people would be eating and just sleeping and, you know, it's not a show kind of feel. So I was excited. I said, oh, this would be great. It's like an actual showroom. So we took it uh, reluctantly. I did. I said, I'll just do a couple months there. And then they offered me a year and I said, no. And then they came back and they said, how about three, three years? And I said, well, if I didn't want to do one, why do I want to do three? And then my management's like, uh, this is a good deal. You, you really should think this. And I said, I don't want to be a desk job. I don't want to come in nine to five every day. I don't want to, I want to be on the road. I'm a road guy. I want to be on my tour bus. I want to be, you know, truck stops. That's what I do. And they finally said, give it a shot. Try it. You might like, I talked to a lot of friends that, that were, that were residencies there. And they said, Oh dude, you go home. You, you, it's the best gig in the world. So I took it, took me about a year to get used to not only the schedule and every night, but it took used to getting Vegas down because Vegas crowds are so different, so unique. It's not like they're not there to have a good time, but this is, I, I was still a name, but I, I, I've, I've earned my years and years of trying to figure out how to do a Vegas show with Vegas crowds and what they want to talk about, what they don't want to talk about. So it took about three years to get that, that down. And then they uh, extended me for another five and then another five. And now we have another five. What was the reluctance? I think just not knowing, you know, not knowing that I would want to do a show every night in the same room. And the fact that I didn't really particularly enjoy performing in Vegas prior to that, it was always just a weird, I don't know. It was a weird, we'd always say, oh shit, now I gotta go to Vegas. We gotta do two weeks in Vegas. And it was just hard. And one day, literally one day it clicked and I said, I know how to do a show in Vegas now. And I don't know how it happened, but I did. I got the mindset right. I got the, the show tuned to a Vegas kind of thing. And then the interesting part after that, it was such a Vegas show. We They take me on the road, send me to, to these theaters and, you know, Schenectady, whatever. And I'm like, I gotta, I gotta, now I gotta take my act and go back to what I used to do on the road. So it's always a working process. Not, it's not like you just have a generic show and you just go do it somewhere, you know? So people, I get offers and I'm like, I t- sometimes I don't take them because I know I'm not, I'm not, my show's not ready for that particular venue. I don't have a fluency. I don't know that the audience does either in the language that you're speaking right now. What are you talking about in terms of the specifics of sculpting something to a Vegas audience? Because this is something that you have an expertise in because you've done it, but I don't know what you're talking about. I, I don't even know if I do, but I'm, I'm not being serious here. I, I think that for all the years that I've worked Vegas, it's it, it, and we still, we still sometimes say it. Why is Vegas so different than saying doing a show downtown Miami? I don't know. I think the people that come to Vegas, it's the family. It's like, believe it or not, it's very family oriented too, which is weird. So you have families and babies, but then you also have the young people from LA coming and you have hipsters come and you have this. It's a cluster of all kinds of people, people from Idaho, people from Iowa. And the, so they're red states and blue states all mixed in to this crowd. Whereas when I go to a college back in the day, it was one specific kind of audience, one specific kind of crowd. Even going to do a show at the hard rock here in Orlando, it would be still a specific audience, maybe locals, maybe. So Vegas is just a a eclectic grouping of people. And so I try to get the show as tight as I can, get all the fat out of it, get right to the band quick too. They, they don't have the the attention span is zilch now. So I'll have bits that I'll say to my guys after I said, let's just get rid of that, that one section because it takes, it just takes so much out of them for them to watch. For instance, one on my Instagram I just posted was was um, how quick Biden. I said Biden's not the quickest president we have. I mean, they said smart. I'm saying quick, just quick, right? So remember George W. Bush when they threw the shoe at him. Remember? Yes. So I showed the I showed the clip on the big screen, and everybody loves it because it's real, right? And if they don't remember it, now they're seeing it. So there's a shoe being thrown, and George Bush dodges it, and then a second shoe comes in, and like fuck. I said that mother, look at that. 
Now, what, could you imagine Biden up there? And there's a the picture of Biden with a shoe just wedged in his face. <laughs> then I used to do it in slow motion, right? So the slow motion just was so like, they already saw it. They don't need to, they already, it was funny, but showing it in slow motion took an extra minute that would get him right back. So I got to keep the bam on to the next comma, comma, la Harris joke. The comma, 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 comma. That's my joke. That's, you played the song. How do you say your name again? Comma, 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 comma. Yeah. So it, it, that's part of the answer to that is just trying to tighten it up. And, and also the kind of specific jokes, like I don't do political, that's about as political as I get because you've got people, they don't want to talk politics and I don't blame them. They want to come see my show. So I don't, I don't get into it. I, I keep it lighthearted, more dick jokes, you know. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Do you look at comedians who are complaining about the present climate and say, oh, shut up or evolve your comedy? Or they're right to be scared of every corner and crevice of a comedy landscape that's changing. Well, I think comedians in general should be worried about it. I mean, I think that's one thing that's that's changed in my in my illustrious career is the uh, is exactly that. I mean, I'm not making this up. I can go through jokes that I used to do in my show for years, and not just at my show. I'm talking on network television that I would be thrown out right now if I did. And that's just the nature of how we're changing as a culture and a society and how what, what's accepted. But I'm telling you, there is such a thing. I mean, it's happening. And with comedy, it's scary because our job is to poke fun and to make fun. That's what we're here for is to, the satire of, of making fun of things that maybe shouldn't be funny. That's what makes it funny. Comedy is, is and I say it some nights, almost every night, one part of the show I go, oh, I do it. Oh, I know it was. There's a country song where it says, tequila makes your clothes fall off, right? And I said, I did not know that. I knew Ether did. I didn't know tequila, right? And it gets a laugh. And everybody goes, ooh. And I go, no, no. I, I remember the guy who told me. And a picture of Bill Cosby comes up in the song play. Now, they, that used to kill. Now, this last couple months, not so much. And then I stop and I go, comedy's hard. You know, <laughs> remember the days you could do that? So I still do a little bit like that. I'll, I'll, I'll address it to the crowd, too. I'll say, man, comedy used to be so much fun. And, uh, and then they start feeling like, oh, you're right. Yeah, let's start laughing again. So I do it in a, in a nice way just to kind of let them know that, uh, you know, it is kind of changing. I've always marveled at how small the world is. So few of you choose this path. It's dangerous. A lot of people say that what you do for a living in entertainment is the hardest thing, getting on a stage and making people laugh. And I have marveled that your career has lasted as long as it has just because well, it's of, definitely harder than what is it definitely harder than what you do. But anyway, <laughs> I, I mean, it's just hard. It's hard to keep no, it, to keep no, but it is. you set me up. No, but you're right. You're absolutely right. That is, I believe a lot of people <laughs> in entertainment will say that it's the hardest thing to, to write. Well, jokes. I had people get, literally just yesterday say that I was I, again, I was at a bar because I'm a super spreader. And, um, and this lady said to me literally exactly that. She goes, you, I think, have the hardest job of anybody. And I said, I'm not quite sure if it is. I mean, I don't think it is because I do it. But people do think that, it, it, I mean, it's not easy. But then again, hell, being a doctor is not easy. Being, doing what you is not easy. I mean, you, you, don't just, you don't just get on the radio and do a two-hour show, a three-hour show, whatever you do, without being 
prepared, smart. You know, it's hard. But, Everything's hard. But it's such a small world, and you guys have connection points. Comedians, I have marveled that you all seem to know each other, that it's like a few hundred of you all know each other. So who did you come up with? Who was the group that you were coming up with? Because I imagine it was also a small group. Yeah, for sure. It's a fraternity, I think, for sure. I mean, I really do. They have utmost respect for, I mean, especially the ones that I, that, that you know, <laughs> whatever i mean i know i know a few that aren't so friendly as me but um most are not I mean, 99 even the one that i've had a spat with we were like we're like best friends now who was that tell us uh, that story yeah. you, you had a famous beef i didn't know i didn't know you it had was, a uh, it was dennis miller i opened for him at wake forest university uh and the, i mean i mean literally when i had like five props right so i had nothing and they wanted me to do 15 minutes and i said i can't do 15 minutes they said we'll do as long as you can i said okay so I think I was, I think I had about 15 minutes, but I, I said, that's it. Don't, if he doesn't, if he shows up late, I'm fucked. Right. So I get up there and I'm, I'm maybe three minutes in and I'm doing, I'm killing like right now. And, uh, I get to this <laughs> prop I, and I look over and there's Dennis Miller on the side of the stage with the, the man, the guy that booked me and Dennis is standing there like watching me with his hands like this. And the guy, the guy says this. That, with his you know, arms crossed, up. he's wrapping you up. Somebody's wrapping you up. Well, with he their said, he's wrapped them. He's wrapping up, right? Pretty much everywhere, except that or a hurricane's coming. So I, <laughs> I go, I better. So I pick my favorite prop that I close on. It was this paper cups and string phone joke. I do it. Hey, conference calling. Then I and I go to pick up my stuff, and they go, ladies and gentlemen. Then he walked out. They even mentioned him. He just walked out, and he says, "Leave your shit." <laughs> so I'm like, oh, okay. So I seriously, so I left it all on the stage and I went in the, in the back of the, uh, the theater and I watched because I was like, this is so exciting. It's been, and, you know, Dennis Miller, like first celebrity, big celebrity I'm working with. And uh, he wasn't doing well and he didn't feel well. And he kept looking at his notes and he kept, he kept making fun of the, in a weird, in a mean way, not like in a nice way. And finally he kept saying, does anyone know the score of the, the Braves game? And they were like, boo, like you, he, you're supposed to be putting on a show and he care all he care about his baseball game. So get done. And he takes his, what happens? So he picks up one of my props. It was a car that was shaped like a ramp. I remember this too. It was a car that was shaped like a ramp. So if he had a head on collision, he just jumped the car, right? Some stupid joke. And he picked it up like this and he, and he went, I hope that was funny. And he threw it down and the whole crowd turned on him because he threw my prop down from, right? Instead of laying it down, he went, hope it was funny. And they all were like, it was funny. And he threw it down and he went, hey, take it easy. Hey, hey, I like the topper. He called me the topper. Shows over. I go down to say hi to him. And he wouldn't say hi to me. He wouldn't meet me. And da-da-da. So anyway, long. then he has his show on HBO or whatever. And he kept fucking ripping on me. Like always. Like every week would be a carrot top rip, right? Finally, Margaret shows on there one time. She says, why do you not like carrot top? He's such a sweet guy. And he says, I'll tell you why. And he tells this whole story. He says, claims, that I went long. <laughs> and I'm like, oh my, I'm like pulling my hair out. I'm like, oh my God. So I finally get to meet Dennis Miller in person in LA, just at an air, at, at, at a hotel. I'm staying at doors open ding. And he goes, I go, Dennis. And he goes, yeah, topper. I said, well, you got a second? And he goes, no, I don't. I said, well, you're going to have to give me a second because I, the story. And I go, you, you went long. I said, I didn't, I didn't have the capability of going long. I had like four jokes. And he goes, well, you went long. Anyway, finally, David Spade came by one time and he was with him. And I said, David, I'm talking to David. And he goes, yeah, this one doesn't know how to do his time. I said, David, would you please tell him that I didn't, I don't. And then finally he said, all right, truce, peace, right. Ends with this, in Vegas, all-star basketball game. They invite me to go 
they sit me up in the ESPN section with like Rich Eisen and everybody's right. Like I'm literally sitting in better seats than the ESPN guys. So I sit down, I look at, I think it was Rich. And I said, I said, Hey, look at these seats, right? Right directly behind me. Guess who's sitting? Dennis Miller. So I said, Dennis, I said, look at that. Huh? And he goes, I said, is my hair going to block your, your view the whole time? Right. <laughs> and he says, uh, no, you're really going to love this. I go, what? He's really going to love this. You might want to sit down for this. I said, what? He says, sit down. I sit down and see it. He goes, my son is your biggest fan. I said, oh, that hurts you so much, Dunn. And he goes, yeah, it's like salt in the fucking moon. He goes, yeah, I know it really does. It destroys me. But his son was like, can I meet you? You are such a yeah. sweet dude, though. I This is something I was talking about the other day with some friends of mine, Scott. The idea of comedy when you reach a place of success that it doesn't actually bring you joy and you're sort of dried up. Bill Maher feels a little like this to me. Such smart, smart people. Clearly clever, clearly good at what they do, the sculpted craft, but don't seem to get much joy out of it. Dennis Miller always struck me as that. Super smart, probably smarter than most of the people doing it very good at the craft of it but didn't seem to enjoy that much just what was happening around his comedy not just squeezing the laughter out of it but not sort of allowing the joy you seem to do it because you enjoy people laughing you're a kind person you enjoy being the person who made them laugh it's a simple enough transaction for you and i think it's been lubricant for you spiritually over almost four decades yeah. well maybe i did take enough acting lessons in <laughs> No, I got to be honest. I am one of the only people that actually, not only, I am a very rare one that does enjoy it. I love doing my shows. I mean, I, I, mean, I was off for a, an entire year. Um, we just went back three weeks ago. And I got to tell you, it was like, there's nothing like sitting here in my boat in Florida, but you get back on stage and you're in your element, you're writing jokes and you're doing, it's, it's, it's the most, it's the most incredible feeling in the world. It was a, it was just, it was almost like, uh, you know, people get, you know, law, uh, a loss of uh, I, the joke I would say was uh, you in co you lose your sense of taste and smell and I said I lost my my sense of purpose because I, I I would go do nothing all day long I mean yeah it'd be fun to a degree but there wasn't there wasn't a uh, I couldn't enjoy it so much because I didn't know the future I didn't know if I was if this was it I didn't know if this was I had a good run and entertainment for the most part is over. I mean, that's kind of, in a sense, I was a little scared after about almost a year. I was like, I might not be ever going on stage again. The reality of that kind of struck me. So um, even more now, enjoy it. You know, I went now I'm back even, even more I'm saying now even before, I'm really enjoying the moment being up there and every laugh and every little moment, you know, and you got to, that's what you, that's what you, you, you know, you work so hard to, to get here. Why would you not enjoy the moment? Did I, I hear you correctly that. though? Did you say that most comedians don't? Do you think most comedians? I say not, well, yeah, most. I would say, I would say most of my friends, I won't name names, but they're all pretty much, you know, the old joke was you went up there, you got, you got your check, right? How was your show tonight? Well, I was up there, wasn't I? I got paid. That's not my, that's not my, my thing ever. In fact, I'm one of the most, famously known for not picking up my paychecks back in the comedy club days. I would go perform and get back in my truck and go to the next gig and the club would go, you didn't get your check. I'm like, I literally, that happened more than a dozen times. And people like, they would always say that he never even picked up his check. And it wasn't that I didn't need the money. Trust me. I just wasn't thinking about getting paid. I was just like, I got to do a show. So now I pick up the money. 
Do you have any theories on where that misery comes from? Like it doesn't, it's counterintuitive, right? You're I understand I, that. I'll, I don't know where it comes from. I, yeah. I don't know where it comes from. And you're absolutely correct. I mean, the whole point of it, like I'm thinking back when I would literally back to what I was telling them, the very, I'm in my dorm room trying to come up with an act. I, I, I think now when I'm up there doing my thing in this big, I think about that. Like I actually go, wow, look at this. Look where I am. So I enjoy every moment of it. I mean, even, you know, it's funny. We had, you know, every comic has a show that just lays there flat, you know, for some strange reason, whether it's you or whether it be the audience or it's a full moon or whatever you want to blame it on. There is such a thing as having just a flat audience. I mean, we, we just had one a couple of weeks ago when I first got back. We had, they were first three were amazing. Then we had a, a Thursday night that was, we did the same thing, came out like, you know, boom. And they weren't as receptive. And at the end, more people stood than they did the, the show that was good. So there's always that too. You you you, you gotta one. You gotta just enjoy it regardless if they're if they're not really that into it. My my always my thing. I always like doing kind of art in a sense is taking a I call it like a four and turning them into a nine or a ten, right? But you never want to have a ten and turn them into a four. So that's when you start losing your self confidence and you're up there and you're like they came out they were really good and all of a sudden they're not good. That's when you start getting panicky and start going, oh, my God, I lost him. Where are they? So I always use the analogy of like anything, like just for throwing it out there. Let's say a NASCAR race. You're four laps down, and that guy ends up winning the race because he didn't give up. I tell my crew not, like the other night, I said, you know what? We were four laps down, but you know what? We ended up on the lead lap. We didn't win the race, but we ended up on the lead lap So because you stayed with it. So that's hard to do, though. I mean, that's taken 36 years to have that mentality to do that. And not give up. Keep going until you get them all laughing. So I don't know. Sometimes it works. Sometimes, sometimes it doesn't. Still, but if you have a good time, you won't have a horrible night. You come up and say, "Hey, I did the best I could, right?" And they're like, "Yeah." I'm like, "This wasn't us tonight. That's it." I want to play for you some sound from Bob Saget talking about his saddest experience ever in a comedy club. I don't believe you're going to be able to top it, but I want you to go through <laughs> your files in your head to see if you can say anything that comes close to the sadness that Bob Saget felt when he experienced this. We were three comedians doing this gig at the strip club, and <laughs> and Kevin Nealon and I went to go look at Mount McKinley, like two guys would do, like two bros. And the other guy, the other comic was just in the, in the trailer with the strippers all, all weekend. So, <laughs> I mean, and, and so, the, so I'm, I'm, I'm on, they're going to introduce me and there's a stripper on stage and she had pie pans over her, um, her, over her chest, uh, two pie pans and then another one uh, lower in her lower region with matches, literally just matches, paper matches, uh, <laughs> scotch tape to the pie pans. And then she lights them, not even sparklers, you know, right. just matches. Just matches. Lights them. <laughs> she has, she lights the top pipe pans and she lights the bottom pipe pan and then she blows herself out and then literally blows herself out and goes, ladies and gentlemen, Bob Sack. <laughs> it sounds, it sounds so well told, too perfectly told to be true. You don't have anything like that in your arsenal, do you? Oh God, that's brilliant. No, but I did, but as every comic has a strip club, uh, story because I same we all did that I played strip we went in Atlanta and I, and I went there it was like I don't know they paid me like forty bucks and a couple beers probably and so I went there same thing I got I got all my my props trunks up there and the, the girls are dancing and they said please welcome now the comedy pair top and I came out and I hadn't even done anything yet I just walked out and they're all boo and they're throwing shit at me literally 
And I said, whoa, 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 whoa. And they're like, they, so I, the only thing I saved in my head, like, I think I had a pair of t- rubber tits or something on a tennis racket. I didn't even know, I didn't think it was a joke there. I just said, hey, look, it's, it might've been a, someone's tennis racket. Look, look, tits, tits, tits. And they kind of calmed down. And then I did one other joke and they, they started booing again. And I said, you know, I want to see tits too, okay? It, let me just finish this. And that was about literally, I think I, I got paid 40 bucks for two jokes. They just, they threw me off. They didn't want me there. I can't imagine that prop comedy in a strip club. That sounds like. A oh yeah. No. And I remember I even had, t- I had tits on a, on a, on a thing. On a, I right. made that on purpose. I was playing. I said, look, look, I know my audience. Look. <laughs> you know, I've tailored this. I've tailored this yeah, to you guys. You're, tailored this. you're trying yeah. to tame the animals with your tennis racket yeah. of boobs. Uh, good yep. talking to you, sir. It's always good catching up with you. Thank you for making yeah, the time. Man. Thank you for, uh, for having me, man. Awesome. Make sure to follow South Beach Sessions. Leave a kind review, a five-star rating, over the coming weeks, you'll probably see more podcasts introducing you to the ever-growing cast over here at Metal Ark. So thank you so much for your support. Really good feedback on a lot of these recent episodes. So we thank you for your support. We'll be back again next week on South Beach Sessions. My team is one win away. And I'll tell you exactly what I'm going to do to celebrate once they get past this series. I'm going to go to my fridge and I'm going to get myself an ice-cold can of Miller Light. A lot's changed over the years, but one thing that hasn't, the great taste of Miller Lite. Another thing that hasn't changed is that it's less filling. So what is the best thing about the original light beer? Miller Lite sparked this debate in 1975 and it still hasn't been settled. You see, Miller Lite keeps it simple. Undebatable quality, great taste, and only 96 calories. It's the beer that strips away everything that you don't need and holds on to what matters most. A light beer that tastes like beer, less filling, and only 96 calories. The original light beer since 1975. You don't have to choose what's best. Miller Lite has great taste and is less filling. Tastes like Miller Time. To get Miller Lite delivered right at your door, visit MillerLite.com beach, B-E-A-C-H. Or you can get it pretty much anywhere that sells beer. Celebrate responsibly. Miller Brewing Company, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. 96 calories per 12 ounces. Fewer calories and carbs than premium regular beer.